another episode of the Love Your Bod Pod. I am your host. I'm Kara Corinne Cefali. I'm a certified health coach and breathwork facilitator, but I'm a food and body image coach more than anything else. However, as you may have heard, I am in the process of retiring from being a coach. My hope is that you've heard that before, and I'm not just dropping this bomb really abruptly on you right now but I shared about it last week and I've shared about it on my Instagram. I have decided to close this chapter of my life. I wanna give you an opportunity to ask me any questions that you have about why I'm walking away from this career and closing the door on this chapter or turning the page, so to speak, before I post an episode explaining everything there is to know about making this really big, big decision. So I'm not gonna get too into it. Just know that if you have any questions about it, shoot me a DM and I will make sure that I do answer them and address them in my final episode of the Love Your Bod Pod. I do plan on having the last episode explain in depth and answer any and all questions that you guys have around why I've made this choice. It's not something that I've come to lightly or easily at all. It's been about a year in the making. But now I am in the process of closing out the final season of the Love Your Bod Pod and of my coaching business. And today we have an incredible, awesome interview with the lovely Sammy Harrison Gut. Sammy Harrison is a binge recovery coach who helps women stop secret eating against their will so they can free up their minds and live the life they were meant to live. I met Sammy through TikTok. She actually hired me I think back in 2021 to be her recovery coach. Uh, She was struggling with secret binge eating and then she went on to become a coach herself and help others. And Sammy is absolutely incredible and amazing. She is someone who has so much expertise on parts work and internal family systems therapy. So we're going to be diving into that in this episode. Um, you've maybe heard me talk about how much I personally love IFS as well in my coaching and have utilized it, uh, in the way that I help people too. And then also I wanted to just mention inside this episode, during this episode, Sammy unprompted talks about how much of a difference mine and Brandilyn Tebow's masterclass embodied rebel masterclass made for her in her body image journey. I was not expecting her to say that and she talks about how it was so fucking powerful for her and so I just wanted to remind you or to let you know if you haven't heard yet the Embodied Rebel Masterclass is available but I am going to be removing it and taking it down once I close the door on this coaching career. So it will be available for the next month and a half or so, and then it is gone for good. So if you're struggling with your body image and you feel like you've been trying all the self-love things and the body positivity things and just accept yourself shit and it's not working, definitely consider investing in Embodied Rebel Masterclass. It's linked in the show notes. It's linked in my Instagram. You can DM me if you can't find the link, I'll send it to you. But I didn't know that Sammy, I had, I don't remember if Sammy told me during our time together that it was so helpful for her. I I can't exactly remember. So I heard it with new ears and you'll hear that in the episode. Um, And so it was just really cool to hear how much it made a difference for her. And so I want to encourage you to go get yourself in that course so that it can make a difference for you and you can feel confident and at peace in your skin and stop hating your body. Okay, enough of me rambling. Um, I want to get into the episode, but oh yeah. Uh, Be sure to check out my book, One Day at a Time, that is now available. Uh, Daily Reflections for Overcoming Food and Body Image Struggles. Go check that out on Amazon. And then also with Food Body Soul, the Academy, uh, same situation as with Embodied Rebel Masterclass. It's available, but once I close the doors on the coaching, that will be taken away as well. So don't miss out on your opportunity to go get that course too. All right, enough of me rambling. Let's get into the conversation with the lovely, lovely Sammy. Hello, Sammy. Hello, how are you? I'm good. It's early for me, but it's like afternoon for you. So I'm just waking up. You could probably hear it in my voice. (laughs) (laughs) It's like 10 o'clock here and I'm a morning person and not at all night person. So I do feel like I 
like I feel like I have my shit together until like noon and then it slowly derails yeah you know what I'm a morning person too and so Mm -hmm. I feel you like I kind of I like working for myself because like three o'clock rolls around and I'm like I think I'm gonna cook dinner now (laughs) (laughs) yes yes I know working from home I love to just it's so easy to snack now which is so nice it's so convenient like it makes intuitive eating easy and yeah I start dinner way earlier because I'm like I can just eat whenever I want there are no rules so let's dive in and let's learn a little bit more about you so I love to start out these conversations learning about the early context of your life because that ends up being so formative and playing a massive role in your motivations and like who you become and how your life unfolds up to this point. So what is that early context that I would need to understand so that I could better understand you and how you got to where you are? That's a good question. Um, yeah. And it's one to, it's a good one to like reflect on once in a while too, because you kind of forget and you kind of lose sight. So, you know, I started, I grew up, I'm the youngest of five kids and, um, grew up in a family that really valued uh, body size, but for women specifically. Um, and it was really kind of charted by my father who of course, to this day, would never even think that he cares about women's body sizes, but did. And I picked up on that when I was little, very much. Um, like I noticed when a woman who was in a larger body would come near us, whether she was family or just a stranger, I know a comment would be made and it wasn't always horribly hateful, but it was sometimes, you know, veiled in concern and whatever. But I just knew that there was judgment and shame around a big and a larger body. And I felt that um, from a young age. And I have an older sister who is always effortlessly in a thin body and um, beautiful. And I could see the kind of juxtaposition of her, like the attention she got, the respect she got, the um, like people just lit up kind of around her was kind of what I picked up when I was little. And I was, I grew like super fast. So I was like, I have, I'm five, five right now. And I'm, I was five, five in fifth grade. (laughs) Like I was just, I haven't grown since fifth grade. Like I was just so tall. Like I remember people in my grade being like, you don't belong in our grade. (laughs) And it was um, when you're little and all you want to do is just be like everyone else. It's like all you want to do. So you don't stand out. I just legitimately stood out and just hated that I did and hated that I didn't have, I just wanted to be smaller because I saw the value of being smaller. It was just everywhere. It wasn't just from my dad. It was from all my friends. It was everywhere. So I kind of created this thin fantasy of like, when I'm thin, then I will be successful. Like when I was a little bit older, it was, I'll find this perfect man. It was like, I'll just be happy all the time. And I'll like, people will respect me and I'll get really good jobs. And I'll, it was just kind of like, I lumped all of my struggles into being thin like if I didn't have plans for the night it's because oh it's because I'm fat or if I didn't have friends or a boyfriend it was like oh because I'm fat and I actually didn't want a boyfriend and so there's like some safety that was kind of created in my um body because I felt like well I don't have to put myself out there because I'm not worthy of it so it's like this weird kind of comfort thing but yeah I definitely learned at a young age that thin bodies were better and I started dieting, I think at like age 10, I remember I had like this diet journal and I wanted to lose all of my weight, which was like 50 pounds in the summer before, like I wanted to lose it in the summer and then come back as like this cool kid. Um, so common. It, was very, yeah, it was just very important to me. And so I, I remember, if, I remember like telling my mom at one point, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to lose like a pound a day because I had no idea like what bodies do. <laughs> no idea. Um, and she just kind of like, let me, you do you girl, like whatever. Um, so yeah, so I became obsessed with that. And so I would restrict really intensely and then binge and then promise to never do it again and then restrict and then binge. And then it would just became that cycle for almost 20 years. It was really intense. And it was, yeah, like every time I would binge, I would just shame myself and hate myself and say, yeah, I'm just going to hate myself so much where I do it perfectly the next time because I'm just being too lenient is kind of the thought I had. But yeah, so that's how I got stuck in that cycle for quite a few years. Yeah. Your story, I think, is like, you know, is going to resonate and is similar to so many of our stories. And I'm curious of um, 
How do you think you started to believe that like you needed to be meaner to yourself and that the reason why you weren't sticking to the diet was because you weren't being, you weren't being hard enough on yourself. Like, do you think that was sort of just like the, like, did someone teach you that? Or did you kind of come up with that on your own? I think so much, like I thought about that because my parents weren't particularly hard on me, like, like using kind of um, meanness <laughs> as a way to motivate me. But I think um, I noticed that when I was mean to myself in the short term, I would be motivated to do something. So if I was like, because usually after I would binge, I'd be really mean to myself. And then I would have a three or four day stretch of dieting and being perfect. So it was kind of like, I, I saw like, oh, if I could just do that all the time, like clearly I'm just letting up. I'm like being too nice to myself. I'm too proud of myself or whatever. And the idea of like loving myself to change felt like, well, first of all, it was like, well, that's not possible for me because I'm like this. So I can't actually love myself. You know, it's really sad when you think about, I just think about like little Sammy and it's just really sad, but um, yeah. So I think I just, um, thought that that's what I had to and I also didn't think I was yeah like I said worthy of being nice to myself but I was really afraid of that actually because I thought that I would just want to binge all the time then yeah that's common it's like if I wasn't so hard on myself I'd gain a million pounds and all hell would break loose so I need to keep being mean to myself so I don't let up and (laughs) my worst nightmare doesn't come true right because we think I think we're all afraid like I just really want to just sit and binge all day. That's what I truly want. That's what will bring me joy and happiness and satisfaction. And it's like, that's not actually true. But, but you know, when you're stuck in restriction, that does feel really good. <laughs> so I think there was like this, I don't want to let my, like, I don't want to f- be nice. I don't want to feel good about myself because I'm so afraid of what's going to happen, you know? Mm, okay. So there was absolutely a big part of you that loved the binge eating is what I just heard. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yes. Yes, it was, it was definitely love hate. Um, I would say more hate, but it was like the, it was like that release of like, you know, like, like you're like holding down a beach ball or something. You're just like holding it so hard. And then, you know, you get like the praise of like, oh, you're doing a good job and you have that. But then it's just like, you just like, I don't know, you run out of energy is what it felt like. And I was like, I just want to feel comforted and like, have pleasure. I was like, like not allowing myself to have any pleasure. And I was like, I just want it. And then when I would get it, I was, I loved it in the first like half part of the binge. And then it was, I can't stop because then I might have to reckon with what just happened and face all that shame. And so it was just, yeah, it was definitely love hate. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really common. I mean, that's how I felt. Like there was a part of me that loved it, but like, I hated myself for it. So I can really, I think, I think that's how it is for most people. Yeah. You know, did you think that you would like, did you ever have that fear of like, I like deep down, all I want to do is just eat all day. Is there something wrong with me or, or was that never really a, you know? Oh God, let me think about it. You know, like sometimes I like remember the things that I remember about my experience, but it was over a decade ago. Yeah. Um, did I ever think that I would just like eat all day? I don't know. I don't think so. Like I, I don't, I don't think I thought that, but I, I could have, but it's not one of those things that I like specifically remembered have brought in with me 10 years later. So like maybe, um, but I like planned out my binges. I was like, yeah, like I kind of was just like, this is my pattern. Oh, it's Friday night. Or like, oh, you know what? Tomorrow, Saturday, like I'm not hanging out with anybody. Like this is what I'm doing. And I'm going to, you know, and I was a bulimic too. So like, it was slightly different than just being a binge eater, but having that compensatory behavior that wasn't just dieting and restriction. Um, you know, I, I like would plan it out. And like, that was what I would be doing for the day. And when you were talking about like, you're holding this beach ball underwater, you're like, you just want the release. It's like, we put all this effort into being perfect and to restricting. And we have to be hypervigilant uh, around the foods that we're actively avoiding eating. And, and I think we sometimes under underestimate or undervalue the amount of energy that our brain takes up, especially when we're being hypercritical and we're being hyper-controlling and we're being hyper-vigilant. Like, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that like our brain alone consumes so much of the 
of the energy that we get from food just to like keep functioning and working. And so we underestimate like how much energy and how exhausting that is. And then, so it's, of course, we're like, fuck, I need a break. It's like when you're in a workout class and you're the, you know, the instructor's like 10 more, 10 more. And then you, you finish those last 10 reps or whatever. And then you just like collapse because it's exhausting. And it's, that's kind of how I envision this process a little bit. It's like, you need that release and the binge is the, like the release. Yes. It helps you. And, you know, you think about it, like if you're in this like hypervigilant like perfectionistic, everything, I gotta do everything perfectly. I'm being very aware of all of my things that I'm doing right or doing wrong. It's just, it's so much pressure. And then food is such a great way to kind of like pause that anxiety. And it's kind of like, you know, when we're anxious, which is, I tend to kind of associate perfectionism with like a lot of my clients. So I didn't have like, personally, didn't have a lot of perfectionism in terms of like my work or stuff like that. Um, Like, my parents were kind of like, you know, whatever. They didn't like praise the A's and whatever. But um, my body was kind of my way of being a perfectionist. But I, like all of my clients now are extremely perfectionistic women who are high achievers and want to do everything perfectly. And, you know, it's kind of like that all or nothing thinking or on or off, but it's like they're on all day and they're just working because they have that accountability of people are watching me. So I have to like perform and work really hard and be perfect. And then when they come home, sometimes on the car ride home, sometimes after the kids go to sleep, whenever they feel not, not watched and they just have space, they just binge because they get to go into off mode. So they're, they're, you know, in fight or flight all day long, which is very dysregulating to your nervous system and not where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be there for just like little moments of time, not our whole day. So it makes total sense why you would just want to go off and just completely dissociate numb and it calms your nervous system for the time being. But then as we know what happens afterwards, again, yeah. The shame kicks in the inner critic kicks in, and then you go right back to having to like, oh, tighten up, put on. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 It is exhausting. And so I think, I think we can see the positive role. And I say this, I know this might shock no, I know. people, <laughs> but you can see the positive intention behind the binging even if you kind of hate yourself for it. Yes. And in my, my coaching practice, I'm really into um, IFS, which is internal family systems. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but I, I could talk for hours about it. It's like the most fascinating, most helpful thing I think I've found in terms of this work, but it's um, in a really small nutshell, it's this idea that we're all made up of parts and we have like this core self and I have to call it like capital S self. And then you have all these parts that are very protective and they have different functions, but it makes sense when you have a part of you that wants to binge and then a part of you that wants to diet and restrict and lose weight and do all these things. And they're conflicting, obviously very contrasting goals, but you have both parts. And so what can be really fascinating with, with my clients that we work on is we look at we talk to these parts, like we talk to your binge part, then we ask it questions because there's something that it wants you to know. And it's not bad. We think that these parts are just like here to self-sabotage us or they, we just hate ourselves deep down or like we don't care or I don't know what it is. But in IFS, it's, it's, it's a beautiful theory that actually all of our parts care deeply about our well-being. They're just kind of, they learned these things when we were little and they're kind of misguided. So they are, they have our best interest in mind, like our binge part does, but um, yeah, it's just misguided. And it's actually not serving us the way it thinks it is. It deeply thinks that it is. And it's deeply afraid of letting go of its role. And like, it's in the IFS, they call it your burden. And they don't want to let it go because they're so afraid what's going to happen if they do. But yeah, so like talking to binge parts with a lot of different women has been really fascinating because <clears throat> what we learn for the most part um, that our binge parts are are really not these evil things. They're just like, hey, we just really care about your emotional well-being and your your like this part of you that is feels like you need to be perfect is really draining, and it's not actually good for your body or your nervous system or your brain. And you don't have to do it. And we really care about you slowing down because that's really important. And we want you to experience pleasure and freedom and rebelliousness and rest and all these things that are really important. It's just kind of like an extreme version of that. And then your perfectionist part is an extreme version of your performance. So it's like, they're kind of fighting back and forth, if that makes sense. Yeah. I thought I maybe introduced you to parts work. 
and I no, work no, together. No, yeah, no, no, no. That's oh. interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I go ahead. No, yeah, I read the um the book shortly after. Or I don't remember exactly when, but it was after our session. So that's so interesting because it is it makes total sense and like does like correspond with everything that we talked about for sure. But it's just like a new language. But I I read the book No Bad Parts. No Bad Parts. Yeah. And then I read all of his books. <laughs> I got obsessed with it. So it's very cool. Yeah. 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 Um, I love parts work as well. And you know, what's really cool with Richard Schwartz is like he first started, and you probably then if you've read his books, know like he first started utilizing it with bulimic clients. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, I've been utilizing parts work and coaching for several years now. So I, I, I'm assuming we would have done it when we would have worked together. Maybe we did. And I just didn't know what it was. So I probably, so it was like the seed was planted and I just didn't know the language of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so like what Richard Schwartz says is like, these parts are, are somehow get taken out of their naturally valuable states. And the goal of parts work is to bring them back into their naturally valuable states because they're utilizing the binge eating or the perfectionism in an attempt to help you regulate and to, you know, to take care of yourself. But there is another state where they are able to still help you and take care of you, but they're not in these unhelpful states that also cause their own set of issues you know? Right. right. Like they're kind of part of your toolkit, but they're not like these extreme versions and you're still being kind of led by self, which is like such a beautiful idea. It's so hard to master, I imagine. Like, but I, it's just like, you know, the idea of that your soul is kind of like leading and then you have these parts that are helping you versus you just kind of like becoming burdened or um, what do they call it when blended yeah like if these parts become blended with you and then you they just kind of take over and you feel like you are your binge part but you aren't which is a beautiful thing right like they just take over the system totally yeah. but that mm -hmm. and that happens right like when they become blended and then the self isn't actually in the driver's seat correct any, anymore yeah. right yeah. right yeah it's so it's so fascinating and so helpful like you know, I don't know if there's ever going to be like a letter from the universe saying this is how brains and our inner systems work, but like, it's so helpful, for, especially for people who struggle with just doing things against their will, which of course lends itself to disordered eating. It's just like such a helpful way to look at it. Yeah. I think it, it gives language to people who are like, I, I can consciously know I don't want to do this. And yet, like, I can't stop doing it. Like how often, like, have you said that, or your clients have said that, or like mine, it's like, I will be eating this and I don't, I know I don't even want to eat it. And like, I can't fucking stop. And when you have the language of parts work and when you can understand like, oh, I was just blended with that binge part. And so I wasn't fully in the driver's seat. Um, it can just be a really helpful framework and understanding. And my favorite aspect of it is that it's intentionally non-pathologizing meaning yes. it's intentionally not trying to criticize or make wrong the unhelpful addictive behaviors, but rather understanding how they are trying to help that they do have this positive intention. And that's why talking to the parts, as you had said, is so helpful because you can understand what that positive intention is and why it is trying to help and understand how else how can you meet its needs? So it doesn't have to do the destructive behavior or like the behavior that you see as destructive. Right. Yeah. Right. And let it know. Cause like, it's, it's interesting. Cause even having your parts talk to each other and talking to them. So you listen to them, but you also kind of inform them. Like I am not a little girl anymore. Or like a lot of them think that we're little and we need them. And Cause you know, they're trying to protect us from some really um, uncomfortable pain or wounds from the past so it's like it's just a beautiful thing to know that they're really just trying so hard to protect us and they're not bad we're not like these like gluttonous or weak or self-sabotage I mean I just had the most awful thoughts about myself I was like I can't really be myself because if I'm myself this is who I am I need to be this better version so I need to work really hard and then what I learned was like oh actually I can just kind of be myself and I have all these parts that just need to be kind of unburdened and heard and understood yeah. Right. And kind of like released, like they, I feel like they hold they, these parts, they like hold on so tightly. They're so afraid of letting go. And then once you start to like gain that trust with them and let them know that they're, you're safe, which is something I say to myself all the time. I put my hand on her, you're safe. I'm safe. You know, and it just like helps them kind of like, okay, okay. 
you know, loosen the grip a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a perfect segue. Like you've created a lot of content, um, around self-trust. Um, so just tell us what self-trust means to you. How do you define it? And Mm -hmm. why do you feel as though that is such an important component of healing here? Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's really important. Um, because it's kind of like a reminder that you're not your parts. So it's kind of like this self-trust is reminding your, is remembering that like you are the capital S self, you're your soul, you are kind of at the center of this inner system. And to me, self-trust isn't, you know, I trust that I'm going to do what I say. I trust that I'm going to perform this way, or if I don't, I'll figure it out. Or even that I'll do it well. It's, it's really just this idea that if something does go wrong, I trust that I won't beat myself up, which is another way of saying I won't let my inner critic, which is a part all of us have, um, like blend so much that I believe it. Like I trust that I will be able to separate myself from this inner critic and not, tr- not trust that the inner critic would instead trust myself. Like, and, and I think it just, because so many of my clients are so afraid that if they just keep well, they don't trust themselves. They're like, if I don't have rules, if I don't have restriction, if I don't have structure, which structure is good, but like really intense structure, rigid structure, then I'm going to be falling off the way and eating whatever I want. And it's just like this reminder that that's not um, like, we just got to figure out what's going on because there's something about um, you not trusting your inner critic that when it comes online, you're going to believe it and think that you're awful. So there's like, that's where the the rub is. It's not actually your actions. <laughs> that makes sense? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah. So how would somebody like start to develop a little bit more self-trust or what helped you if it's mm-hmm. easier to talk from like your own personal experience, just like what helped you start to cultivate that trust within yourself? Yeah. So for me, it was becoming really familiar with my inner critic, which is very low. Um, and there's kind of like different offshoots of my inner critic of what that part specifically cares about, but yeah, my inner critic will come online often, still to this day, um, very many times a day. <laughs> and um, so for me, the habit has has become, how can I separate myself from it and talk to it and like tend to this part that's hurting. It's kind of how I see my inner critic. And I used to see it as like this big bully that hated me and wanted the worst things for me. But I kind of switched my perspective to say, oh, he's really hurting. This part is really in fear. And how can I tend to it? Like I would a child's like, it's, it's really scared. And it's a part of me that was really, really scared. So it's just like understanding that when my inner critic comes online and all of a sudden I get hot and I feel like, oh gosh, I made a huge mistake. What am I going to do? And I have all these awful feelings. The trust comes in is where I, I don't stay there. And I know that I won't because I know I've practiced enough to like separate myself from it and be able to tend to it. Um, kind of like, it doesn't have as much power because I see, I see the hurt that's there. And I, I have just more empathy for it than fear, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So if we were kind of distill to distill those down, it's absolutely mm-hmm. a practice that takes time. And it started with you unblending or being the witness to the self, the inner critic, being yeah. able to like hear it and see it as a part of you separate from you, but a part of you and understanding that, it's not this horrible thing that wants to do bad things, but shifting your perspective to understanding that it's scared. And this is the only way it knows how to try to help and to what to do to try to protect it from what it's afraid of. And the more you've gone through that process of separating, shifting your perspective and understanding the inner critic, the easier it's been for you to not only hear yourself, but to have trust with what yourself is saying and thinking, et cetera. That was beautifully said. In fact, I wish I would have said that. Yeah, it was just, just, that's great. Yeah, and the reminding, the constant reminding of all my parts that I'm safe has been really helpful too. It's just like, because they really don't think so. Like they think that this is like a life or death situation, these parts. Um, So it's just really helpful to remind them like, no, we're not going to die. We're safe. And then like, even that can just help. But it's, yeah, yeah, all the things you said. (laughs) I've just repeated what you said back to (laughs) you. I didn't say anything new. I just repeated it back to you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
Okay. What's your relationship like with your inner critic? Do you like, does that, does that part of you still come online a lot? Is it, yeah. What does that kind of look like for you? Um, yeah, that's such a good question. You know, I feel like, um, my inner critic is if it comes online, it's not necessarily like cruel or condescending to me as much as it's just like, or maybe this is, could be considered cruel and condescending, but it's more of like, you're, you're not good enough. You're not likable enough. Um, and you're probably never going to succeed. Like those are the types of stories that it'll spew at me. And it, it does, it really does a good job of like trying to have me not remember all of the things that I've done up to this point and the success that I have had. Um, so I think my inner critic is always afraid of like not having my like dreams come true or not being like noticed. And so it kind of comes in to like push me to try to work more and to create more. Um, but it tries to do it through the, like, you're not enough narrative. Um, but I am, I, I have like, like you through a lot of practice, like I'm very capable of allowing it to be there and allowing that voice, uh, to just be in my experience without it running the show, you yeah. know, without it overwhelming me, overwhelming the system. Um, I've really just over time, like practice that skill of being the witness and just allowing it to be an object of my awareness. Like, okay, this inner critic is here. It's just saying these things. It's being hard and mean and condescending and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like there. It's kind of like in the peripheral view, whereas like before it would have been like all up in my face and overwhelming and would result in me shutting down. But now I can't like, if it is coming online, like it's just kind of like over here to the side of me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I got you. Like mm -hmm. I get it. I understand. Um, so it's just a different experience mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. than like how it used to be. And, um, this isn't necessarily like a part of IFS, but just in general trauma therapy, talking about like the window of tolerance. Mm -hmm. And so like my tolerance for what my inner critic says is so much higher now than where it used to be. So even if my inner critic is like at like a level seven, my tolerance for it is a level 10. Mm -hmm. And so like, even if like I'm having a rough mental health day, like I you know, still take care of myself and can, and we'll still eat and we'll still go on a walk and like, we'll still call a friend, you know, like I don't get taken over. Like I used to, whereas in the past when my inner critic was at a level seven and my tolerance for it was only a level three or level four, like I would restrict and I would binge and I would probably do a bunch of drugs or like get wasted, like, because I couldn't tolerate it. So now be all after all of, all of the work, like my tolerance for it, Mm -hmm. um, is so much higher. And like, I, I don't fight back like mm -hmm. I used to, right? Like I would have another part that would fight back against the inner critic or try to silence the inner critic. Right. So, so those binge eating behaviors in mm -hmm. the IFS framework would be those five, you know, binge eating, binge drinking, doing drugs, like whatever, like that would be the firefighter trying to shut up the inner critic. And like, I don't need to shut up the inner critic anymore. Cause I can tolerate it because I'm so self-led. So so like it's there and I can hold space for it and like understand it and empathize without it really overtaking the system, you know? And like, that doesn't mean like I might not need an afternoon where I just need, I'm like, okay, I'm just like, like inner critics really loud. I'm not feeling that great about myself. Like I kind of need to just like go relax on the couch and watch a cooking show or something that like will bring me joy, you know? Um, so yeah. Interesting. I always, I always find inner critics interesting, just like how they show up because they're very similar in a lot of ways, but they're also very different. Like I like that yours uses it to motivate you. I noticed a lot of my clients, they have an inner critic and it's that inner critic just wants to keep them small. So it's like, they just don't want them. Like, just don't do the thing. Just, you can't do it. Just stop. Like, just stop. <laughs> and so, so it's interesting. I just like how they are all different and they're all unique and just yeah. I think it has elements of that, you know, of like, oh, you're not good enough anyway. So just stop, 
you know, yeah. like there's elements of that, but sometimes it's, it'll be like, try harder or try differently, you know, like go at it again. Like sometimes yeah. don't give up, keep going. Mm-hmm. It, it's different. It just depends on the situation, you know? So what kind of helped you release this perfectionism? You said the perfectionism was around your body. So what helped you with your relationship with your body, you know, mm-hmm. feeling more comfortable and at peace, no longer feeling like you had to control it. And, and maybe if it leads into it, we can kind of circle all the way back to where mm-hmm. you talk about the thin dream. Yeah. Yeah. So what was really, that was kind of where I was stuck. And um, you really helped me with that, which was um, oh, that course that you had it was like body. Oh, and body rebel Academy. Yes, that, that like blew my mind open, uh, okay. blew my mind open because I was, um, I had no idea, which looking back, I mean, I sh- I'm not going to judge it, but it was like, I can't believe it, <laughs> but I had no idea how misogynistic that thin dream was. I had no idea. I had no idea the oppression that was involved and, um, it, it like I literally just thought I just need to be this way. There's just something wrong with me, and that's I have to fix it. That's like all I could obsess about. And then when I took that course and I learned that these are systems set in place to keep people oppressed and keep people in power, I was just my mind just blew open. And so I think for me that was like all of a sudden I had this really like ingrained neural pathway, and all of a sudden it was just like whoa, <laughs> it just like completely opened up. Um, so that was a beautiful gift because I think I needed that so badly um, because I was trying all these things like self-love and like accept yourself. And I was just really struggling with like, but I don't accept myself. I couldn't like get there. And then when I saw kind of why these things were in place and that they actually weren't mine, um, they weren't something that I like dreamed up. I was like socialized to believe it. It was just like heartbreaking. So I went through like all the, <laughs> the stages of grief. <laughs> And rage was one <laughs> for sure. Uh, I don't know if that is a danger, but it was mine. And so I got real mad. And um, so that was really helpful. And it kind of, I feel like it gave me kind of a clean slate. Um, so like I, and then with parts work, you know, when, when stuff would come up, like, it, which it still does in my body, I'm pregnant right now, which I don't even know if I told you. <laughs> no, my gosh. So, so I'm like five weeks or five months pregnant. And I was like, you know, I, it's interesting. Cause I know I'm like, growing a baby and all these things, but my body is changing and more than it was with my first child. And so I, I see the part, I see the, the the coming up and I know it's trying to be protective, but it's so, like you said, like a lot less obtrusive. I don't feel like I have to listen or like immediately listen and obey it. I listen to it, but I don't like believe it. You right. know, I just kind of let it like, I know you're really scared and I get it, you know, and I just kind of like talk to it, but it's, yeah. So for me, learning kind of the the power behind the power structure of being thin and the thin dream and beauty, like all of it was just like fat phobia, like all of it, uh, health in any size. You guys did such a great job of like covering it that I just felt like, oh, so free. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. I mean, I'm sure you might, you maybe you told me, you know, that, that, that course made such a difference for you, but I do feel like I'm hearing that with fresh ears right now, um, that the masterclass was so meaningful for you. Um, like yeah. It like caused me to pace. Like I remember like pacing around my kitchen, like, like my mind was just blown up. It was so cool. It was just like, I needed it and I love it. <laughs> Yeah. I'll have to let Brandilyn know. So like for those listening, uh, I said in body rebel Academy, but that's a different program you did in body rebel masterclass, which is the body image program that I give to like any client who works with me on their relationship with food. Um, but yeah, that's really cool to hear. Like, it's nice to know that that made such a difference for you and part of the, and you articulated exactly like what our goal was with that course so Brandilyn has this incredible quote, um, who, co- who co-created the course with me. Um, and she says, we don't need to solve our problems. We only need to find problems bigger than ourselves. The antidote to self-consciousness is not self-improvement, but other consciousness. And so for a while, like, do I think that like you, you, you mentioned this, like, I was just trying to love myself. I was just trying to accept myself and you were really struggling. It's like, those are really beautiful, helpful things. And we want to help get you there. 
but we want to show you a different route that we think is more effective to get you there. And that is to actually take your consciousness off of you and give you other consciousness and give you another problem. And when you see these different systems of oppression and when someone actually takes you outside of your head and shows you how we have a very specific oppressive but dominant narrative within society about women's worth that subjugates them and keeps them as second-class citizens you can't help but be like fuck off fuck (laughs) off dude I'm not going to keep hating myself for your fucking benefit. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's so true. It was that other consciousness because I think even with like the self-love journey that I was tr- like trying to force myself to be on, cause I could see that it would be helpful, but it felt like, well, here's another thing that's wrong with me because I don't love myself. So it was like so inward. Everything was so inward and it was so hard. So it was so beautiful to have this outward thing that I could just say, fuck you too. It was just like, <laughs> it really, I needed it. It was very empowering. It like, I felt like yeah, like a bunch of weight was lifted and I could be like, no, I'm not going to be complicit in this anymore. I was kind of like, I'm not going to be complicit anymore. Yeah. So it's like, you're down here. Your, your eyes are down. You're looking at yourself. You're so focused on yourself. And then it's like, somebody like lifts your heads up and is like, it's not you, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's what it felt like. It's like, oh, this isn't just because I'm there's something wrong with me. This is a whole thing. And it's really irritating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I, you know what, like, I think you can't unsee it. And you were saying like, I don't want to be complicit in it anymore. And sometimes it can be, it can, I find this to be an empowering sentiment, but sometimes this sentiment can feel really not empowering for people. So I just want to preface this, that if it doesn't feel good for you, like you're not, there's nothing wrong with you. Like it's Mm -hmm. a valid perspective, but we perpetuate diet culture and we perpetuate thinner is better. And we perpetuate our own oppression when we submit and comply and acquiesce. So like when you were like, yep, I suck. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I need a diet. I need to lose weight. The most important thing is for me to be thinner and prettier. Like we're keeping this, we're helping to hold up the very structures that are keeping us down when we participate in it. And that's hard because there are a lot of re- very real rewards and punishments granted to people based on how closely they adhere to the thin and and pretty standard. And so it can be really hard to opt out of it because then there's kind of like no hope of avoiding the punishments and receiving the rewards. And there's no way for our society to transform if we continue to participate in those systems. And so another goal of the Embodied Rebel Masterclass is to support people in opting out and saying no and rejecting it because we need to reject it and stop holding it up by oppressing ourselves on behalf of it. Um, Beautifully said. Did that all make sense? Sometimes when I'm saying things out loud, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Right. No, I, I can see, I can see both arguments of like, well, is this disempowering because it makes you feel like, I mean, it, but it was, it's not, I totally, for me, it was very helpful because I thought here's something that I'm upholding and I, and it isn't mine. Like that whole, like, this isn't something that I just created and, and it doesn't feel right to my soul. It doesn't feel like it's mine. I just felt like I had to take it on. And so it was like a beautiful gift to be like, I don't want to take this on. I don't want to contribute to this anymore. It's bad. <laughs> for lack of a better word, it's bad. <laughs> and I don't want it. And um, I want to help other women release themselves from it so that we can just get rid of it one yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> what a dream. yeah. Oh, I love that. I'll have to shoot Brandy a text and let her know mm-hmm. um, that it was so helpful, but yeah, it was also helpful for us, right? Like we created it based on what helped liberate us, you know, um, as well. So I wanted, you know, before we kind of wrap up here, I I definitely want to spend a couple of moments talking about the thin dream. So you touched on it a little bit when you were first sharing your story. Um, But can you just articulate like what that was for you? You talked a little bit about it being this sort of protective mechanism, but um, I just want to give people an opportunity to hear what it was like for you so that they can maybe see if they themselves are also caught up in the thin dream. So like, how would you describe it for you? And there's no like right definition. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, for me, it was, 
a form is actually, it was a coping skill that I kind of developed. So what I'm learning about myself is escapism <laughs> was something that I did to like what I couldn't figure out when I couldn't regulate my nervous system. And I was, didn't know how to deal with like these big emotions that I was feeling, even at a very young age. I was, I was known in my family for like Sam's world is what I was called. Cause I would like go play and I would just escape. Um, and so my thin dream was my way to escape. So if I was like uncomfortable with how life was and I wasn't feeling maybe um, connected with people or I wasn't feeling lovable or valued or whatever, I would escape into my thin dream where I would literally like reenact, like, here's what I'm going to look like. Like I would look in the mirror and just picture myself thin. Here's all the clothes I'm going to wear. I would have like magazines of like, these are the cool clothes I'm going to wear and I'm going to be able to wear. And then um, I would like imagine a, a man, <laughs> like a dream man, um, that would be like my boyfriend. Cause you know, when you're like in high school and middle school, like those are like the most important things. And um, like, I'm gonna have all these friends. I'm just never gonna be alone. I'm never gonna be like, if, even if I have hardship, cause I would be like, yeah, of course I'm still gonna have hardship. Like, it's just gonna be so much easier than this. Like everything is gonna be better because I'm gonna be thinner. And so I would just escape into that. I often would go in my room, turn on music and just kind of live in that world. And I did that a lot, even as an adult, because it was just kind of like this, I would look at myself, I would feel so disgusted. I was like, here's an escape from that pain that I'm in. And it would just bring me so much joy in the moment and um, kind of like what binging would do. Um, so it was something that I just kind of kept with me and really like, I think I mentioned, and you helped me see that I really pointed all my problems to it. My, this, my weight was a scapegoat for every issue in my life. Um, cause I thought, oh, if, you know, I don't have a strong connection with my dad, it's because I'm not thin. If I don't do well in school, it's because I'm not thin. If I don't, I mean, things that even don't make sense in my mind made complete sense that like, it's because I'm not thin. If I were just thin, everything would be better. I'd make more money. I'd be more likable. I want all these things. And so um, letting go of that <laughs> was extremely challenging, <laughs> as you would imagine. Yeah. Tell, tell us about letting, letting, tell us about that process. Yeah. And I think that's when I was with you. Um, I cried a lot. I grieved a lot uh, because it was, it wasn't that I had to like, let it go. It was that I learned it wasn't real. And that was really hard for me because I really, really thought it was real. I really, really thought it. I really, to the core of me, thought that if I could be thin, my life would be good and all these things would just be magical. And it was kind of like this, oh shoot, but life's just life. Like this, it's really not this magical rainbows and butterflies thing. Like this is it. <laughs> I've been doing it this whole time. And there's just good and bad. There's hard and easy. And I felt like, no, I just wanted to all be easy. And so it's just kind of like, I, I clung to it as a way to cope with my negative emotions. So what was left was now I have to cope with that negative emotion. Now I have to wrestle with that pain, those wounds that are there, which isn't super fun. <laughs> um, but I knew, but it was like, I can't keep lying to myself was kind of like the thing. Cause it's like the blindfold came off and I was like, oh, that's not real. And I, and I believed that, but it was so hard to let it go, you know? Yeah. I think that you articulated it and said it and explained it in like a really beautiful way, but it's almost like we're sold the thin dream. And it's kind of like this, it's like this carrot that's dangling in front of us. And like, we just think we're going to get it one day and we keep chasing it and chasing it and then chasing it. But having the carrot there was kind of like this hope of like one day I'm going to get to the promised land or I'm going to get to this utopia. And then when you realize that like it doesn't actually exist and then you just have to reckon with like, oh, this is just how life is like, oh, like it's messy and it's hard and it's magical and it's beautiful. And then it's sad and it demoralized. It, like it's all of those things. And you realize that there is no version of life or version of your body that is actually going to protect you and save you. And immunize you to the hard uncomfortable parts like that is a lot to reckon with and I think that's also could be what keeps people hanging on yeah is they're like I don't want to give up on that because I don't want to face reality in some ways mm -hmm. and you talked about like how when you're in a really difficult moment like when you are struggling and you're feeling a way that you don't like that isn't pleasant that 
getting lost in the fantasy numbed the pain of the moment. And it numbed it in part because it was like, okay, well, this is temporary and it won't always be this way. So I can just stay focused on how it's going to be when I finally get there. Yep. And I think it's how we plan out diets. We plan out diets too in the, in the same, it's the same sort of mechanism. Right. It's like all of a sudden we'll just become robots. We think like all of a sudden we'll just like follow it perfectly. And even during a binge. So like I said, the beginning of a binge was always really bent like releasing and beautiful for me. And then it started to get really uncomfortable, but I couldn't stop. And the binge felt like, but then when I was like in that uncomfortable spot and I didn't want to stop, I would then start fantasizing about this is my last binge. And then from now on, I'm going to eat perfectly. It was just like this. I look back, I'm like, man, she was just doing the best she could to feel okay. Um, but like, man, if she could have just like learned how to not be okay, like what a gift <laughs> to have given to herself, but it felt so scary and so unknown. And, you know, I was literally, since I can remember, I would, whenever I'd have a hard emotion, I would escape it. And I would go to a, like, tomorrow, it's not going to be this way. And, you know, it would just be like, that's how I coped. So it was like really learning how to not escape, not abandon myself and just be with myself in it. And that is a lot of work. It was very daunting. <laughs> and it was very sad to give it up that dream. That was for sure. But free, it felt empowering to be honest, but it was very hard. <laughs> yeah, there's a grieving process for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely a grieving process. Um, and it is freeing because it gets you out of the trap. It gets you out of the loop. Like we're scared to get out of the loop because it's familiar and and we know there's that hope, but getting out of the loop is more freeing, but it's, there's that grief process and there's that uncomfortable process. So you said I had to learn how to not escape and be with. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? For you yeah so to me it's like um like when I'll notice like now when I want to escape like I'll notice and be like Ugh. um some people like fight or resist or ignore however you want to call it like a hard emotion but I'll notice when that comes up that's my first initial reaction still is to just like I don't want it <laughs> um and I notice my body kind of like even like nope um but then to me like I've learned that oh, that's a sign that I need to be with it. So it was took a lot of practice, but like learning how to actually process an emotion kind of through your body, um, which for me helps if I can kind of drop the story, like which is kind of like get out of my head, which is easier said than done and take, took me a lot of practice, but like dropping the story and just feeling it in my body was super helpful because a lot of us think that these are going to kill us, right? Because that's what we kind of thought when we were little, so and we didn't want to do it. And it felt like, oh, okay, so here's, like embarrassment I feel it okay and it's gonna like come to my chest and I'm just gonna let it be there and I'm gonna give it space and again it's kind of going back to like I know none of this is gonna kill me I know I'm safe and this is helpful but I can also appreciate that it's not super fun but I know it's freeing and empowering to do it so it's kind of like changing the the story behind it yeah yeah well said yeah the thing where you said like you know I don't know if you use story or narrative, but it's like, we often, like, I think when we have these uncomfortable emotions in our body, whether it's anxiousness or shame or fear or feelings of inadequacy or whatever the, whatever the unpleasant emotion is, I, the suffering is caused by the narrative and the story we tell ourselves about those emotions, not the emotions in and of themselves. And so you had said like, you work on not getting caught up in the story about the emotion, but just actually feeling the physical sensations because emotions, they're just, it's just energy and physical sensations in the body. And like, yeah. that's it. It's just physical sensations. The, the suffering is because of what you're telling yourself about the fact that that emotion is present in your body and it's getting caught up in that fucking story. Oh, it's so true. It's all, we're all in our heads and it's like what I'm making it mean about me all happening subconsciously, really. And it's just so painful when actually when you can drop the story and just be in your body, it's like, oh, it's like a fluttering in my chest. I'm a little warm right here in my neck. You know, it's like really not that awful, <laughs> but our, the whole narrative that we tell ourselves is how awful it is. So of course we want to avoid it as a knee jerk reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, it, we think that it's the emotions we want to avoid. It's just, no, we want to avoid the the narrative and the story that we tell ourselves about it. And that is like a whole other conversation. I mean, parts yeah. can help you with the story, yeah. you know what I mean? But being able to notice and witness the story you're telling yourself and remind yourself that that's maybe not true or that there are other possible stories about that emotion. Like that's a whole nother skill on top of itself, but, um, 
yeah, it, they're just sensations in the body. Like you said, heat in the chest or fluttering or whatever, like they can't truly hurt you. Like they cannot truly hurt you. Yeah. Like I tell my clients, like to practice processing their emotion, which is such a clunky, it's never like smooth. I get it. But there, so, I, but I'll, I'll tell them to like, if it helps, cause your story is really hard to drop. So like, like put your story in a box and just close the door. If you can, just for now, like we'll come back to the story. The stories aren't going anywhere. Cause there's kind of like this, like, like if we're angry, it's like, if I don't address this right now. Um, but really what, if we can process that and like calm our nervous system, then we can more aptly address whatever needs to be addressed or let it go. If it needs to be let go, whatever it may be. Yes. Yeah. Love that tool. hundred percent. Like it's harder to address that story when you're in a dysregulated state. So setting that story aside and getting them more regulated through mm-hmm. that process of feeling like makes so much sense. Yeah. 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 Um, so tell us where people can find you. This has been so great. It was so fun to get to chat and hang out with you. Um, congrats on baby number two and you're you. married now. So congrats. Yep. On well, thank you. It is all very exciting. And, um, big news. I haven't told anyone yet is that we're getting too many donkeys. I, I moved into the country and I'm becoming like, I'm like, what is homesteading? I'm starting to like, I don't know, into this different era. So anyway, we'll see. To be well, continued. I mean, like kind of in that, I am so obsessed with the Lost Kitchen. Have you heard of that? Ooh. No. Okay. Well, it's anyways, it's a, it's a restaurant in the, in this small town that has a population of like 700 or 800 and it's all just like, you know, homes and like farms and nature. And like, here I am like in the big, one of the biggest <laughs> cities in the world. Um, but I am so like, like enamored and enthralled with this like country life so like hearing that you're like homesteading and getting all these dogs and it sounds like you're moving out to like nature yes yeah we're in the woods we have a barn so the mini donkeys are gonna go in the barn and we're gonna get it's just like I don't know what it is like this totally new facet of my life that I didn't really know I was gonna be in but I'm really here for it (sighs) sounds like this (laughs) like the slow girl life a little bit yeah yeah and I'm I'm really excited about it actually it's weird yeah I'm like I want to bake something <laughs> so we'll see we'll see what happens I'm gonna work on know. my lattice work I'm gonna make a pie like <laughs> I think I, I'm not I'm never gonna churn butter it's not gonna be a thing for me but um <laughs> somewhere in between <laughs> having a I garden see, butter. <laughs> um on the lost kitchen they went and visited a farm and someone made a bike and, the, and they pedal on the bike and it churns butter <laughs> That's awesome. Well, maybe. No, I will not. <laughs> um, but tell us about how people can work with you. What are your offerings? Tell us about your podcast. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't even get into the fact that your specialty is secret binge eating. So if you want to like touch on that a little <laughs> yeah. bit as well of like, why is that your specialty, et cetera, like go ahead, you know, all the things. Yeah. Yes, of course. So secret binge eating is um, what I specialize in. And it really, it's just because I really want to address all that shame. And like we've talked about this whole podcast is like the more you can bring to light and just be super curious instead of so judgmental um gosh just the more you learn the better you feel um the more growth that can happen so it's really just like like for me personally no one knew I struggled my my best friend didn't know my whole life until right before I actually met you so it was like as soon as I told someone I was able to unlock something and I was like oh and now I can get help and now I can do this and now I'm coaching it so it's like uh, a beautiful thing. So just getting rid of that shame is kind of what we focus on as kind of a first step. And then, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Sammy B coaching. And then what I offer now is you can schedule a free 30 minute session where you kind of get to know me and see if there's a fit um, and learn more about I have a 12 week one-on-one coaching program. Um, so you can visit sammybcoaching.com and schedule that. Mm-hmm. And I have a yeah podcast. Um, <laughs> my podcast is called End Secret Binging. And they're pretty short, um, but they're kind of just really what they've turned into is like, what are my clients struggling with? And um, yeah, and hopefully people find it helpful. I love that. Yeah. Uh, you know what? As someone who like hasn't struggled with food in so long, all, most of my inspiration at this point for anything I create is because of problem I'm working on with a client. <laughs> what are they struggling with? What did I tell them on the coaching call? Let's write it down. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Yep. Yep. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So N Secret Binge Eating is your podcast. Mm-hmm. Sammy S-A-M-M-Y B, the letter B coaching on Instagram and dot com. It was so yeah, fun. Actually, 
It's actually Sammy B E E coaching, like a bug. <laughs> Just so B -E -E. you know. Yes. I mean, I follow you. So I, like I, that I, you. I know. Yeah. I should have spelled that out, but yeah. <laughs> um okay so sammy b like the b the bug uh coaching thank you so much for coming on today it was so fun to hang and i'm so excited for this new chapter oh thank you thank you for all your help like seriously where i am right now is so much because of you so thank you so much my friend appreciate yeah. you my pleasure. <laughs> my pleasure. don't go just yet i wanted to say thank you so much for listening if you got a lot out of this episode please share the podcast rate and review it uh, tag me in your Instagram stories and then be sure to check out my book one day at a time. It is now available. I've been working so hard on that thing for what feels like many, many months and be sure to check out Food, Body, Soul and Embody Rebel Masterclass while they are still available. I will be back next week with another episode, keeping on with this sort of like closing of the chapter of the coaching career. We have a couple more interviews coming your way. We have a couple of more solo episodes as well. So be sure to stick around and hang out. And then of course, if you have any questions about me making this transition and you want your question answered, be sure to send me a DM on Instagram and I will make sure that I get to it in my final episode of the Love Your Bod Pod. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you.